We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Myself and the entire coaching staff are beyond excited to work with each and every single one of you. We're going to do this thing together for our organization. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. When we talk about all gas, no break, we're not talking about effort on the field. We're talking about the process at which we do thing, do things. We're talking about the way we prepare, the way we wake up every single morning, the way we rehab, the way we communicate, the way we speak to one another. Cannot tell you enough about how excited I am to work with this entire Jets organization and understanding that when we wake up in the morning, we will all, from top down, step on the pedal and find a way to get somewhat better than we were when we we woke up. To our fans, we embrace your passion. We embrace your expectations. We cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please understand, we understand that we have a lot of work to do, but make no mistake, no mistake, that our goal is to win championships. Welcome everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear, full of Bills fan extraordinaire. This is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Robert Sala, new Jets head coach on his philosophy for the New York Jets from his introductory presser over at NewYorkJets.com. Whew! That's uh, <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. A lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. I mean, Chris, now that the dust I think has settled on our division season, I mean, I think this is a good thing to get back into the swing of looking around the division. It's worth taking a look around. I mean, after all, I'm certain Bills fans have been so focused on this team's historic playoff run that we just got off of, you've forgotten a little bit that. There's been a lot of shifting in the landscape of our divisional opponents, right? Yeah, more people left New England. The We don't know what the security that Tua has, and the Jets have a new head coach. It, it, it's crazy. And so with that, we've been so preoccupied with our own nonsense that 
I think most fans have failed to pick up on a lot of what's changed on the other side of the fence. And so it's the perfect time for us to jump back into this series. And I think it's a good time for us to dive into what else has gone on while our attention has been diverted elsewhere. I think the biggest storyline in the AFCs this week is the fact that the New York Jets have a new head coach. And with that, we welcome back to the show Scott Mason of Play Like a Jet to talk all about Robert Sala. How are you doing tonight, sir? Hey, fellas. First of all, I just have to give Chris major credit for the fact that he busted out a fake Diesel reference, a.k.a. Kane, a.k.a. Mayor Glenn Jacobs of Knoxville, Tennessee. So I always appreciate the old school wrestling references. So it gets me going. I'm ready to talk some Jets now. (laughs) There was a new sheriff in town in New York City as the New York Jets have picked Robert Sala as their next head coach. I'm interested to pick your brain now that it's been a week or two, just to see what you think about the hire itself, the coach, and how he's gone about assembling his staff. First of all, I want to know, just at first glance, his gravitas compared to Adam Gase. Yeah, there's no question about it. You notice this even before press conferences. If you just watch him talk in general, there was something that was circulating. It was a clip from a coaching symposium where he was talking about how to build a staff and you watch it and you come away from it and you say, well, I don't know for sure that this guy's going to be a good head coach, but he sure seems to get it because what he was saying made so much sense. He was talking about how, look, I don't need a bunch of Robert Salas on my coaching staff because I can do what Robert Sala can do. I need guys that can do what I can't do. Guys that can complete me and make me the best football coach I can be. I need a guy who can get to a player in a way that I can't or who can teach a player in a way that I can't. So I thought just, you know, leading up to this, and as you said, with the press conference, it was really a stark difference between that and what we saw from Adam Gase. He just had command of the room. He has a certain presence about him. And quite frankly... well, Sorry, I was gonna say, no, I was going to say he didn't make uh, some of the worst, like some of the most awkward faces anyone has ever seen. <laughs> like there was no gaze facing during this. He seemed composed. He seemed like he knows what he wants to deliver. Mm-hmm. It was I was impressed. I walked away from that impressed, although I did have one question, and it's why it was the intro to tonight's show. All gas, no break. I mean, is that the same as all base, no treble? All your base, our belong to us. Like, what? <laughs> no, but this philosophy is a uh, philosophy of his. Has it resonated with the fan base? I think so. I mean, it's getting a little annoying hearing it over and over again, but I think what he's trying to say is pedal to the metal at all times. So not just on the field, but off the field, in practice, in the way they prepare, in the way they go about things, in the way they conduct themselves. It's pedal to the metal at all times. And if you talk to people in San Francisco, they'll tell you that's how he was in San Francisco. And I think that really is something that the fan base was looking for after this Adam Gates debacle where everything seemed lifeless and hopeless and all that. Salas certainly comes in here with hope. And I'll tell you guys, just to give you an example of where Jets fans are at right now. Now, to be fair... It's a relatively small sample size considering the number of overall Jets fans out there. But I conducted a poll on my Twitter, had over a thousand votes, and I said, 
the hiring of Robert Sala, good, bad, somewhere in between, 96% of the people that responded said good. And I can't remember the last time 96% of Jets fans agreed on anything being good other than the fact that Adam Gase needed to be fired. So it really tells you where people are at with this. I think really when you looked at the nine candidates they brought in, I like to say that my criteria, and you guys know I did a deep dive very deep dive on all these candidates. Drew, you and Chris both joined me on my podcast, Play Like a Jet, to break down Dable. And so when I went through the nine candidates, I researched them, I talked to a ton of people, and when I came away from each guy, the criteria was, do I have more questions than answers about this candidate? And if I did, that's not somebody I would hire. The three guys I came away from having fewer questions, fewer uh, questions and answers were... Brandon Staley, who ended up getting hired as the new head coach of the Chargers, works out nice for him because he doesn't even have to move his family. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, who shockingly is not the coordinator that got hired as a head coach off of their staff. Instead, it was Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator, getting hired by Philly. And the last guy was Robert Sala. And so I said, if they hire any of those three, it would be a good move. And a lot of it is because of exactly what you're talking about. The mentality, the presence, the fact that he seems to understand what it means to be a head coach. I'm sure we're going to talk about this later in terms of the building of the staff, the relationship with the players, the way he approaches everything. On paper, I like to say that this is sort of like drafting a guy in the first round that you're really excited about. You don't know for sure that what he did at the collegiate level is going to translate to him being a top-notch pro. But you're hopeful and you see enough signs that what he did at the collegiate level is going to work at the pro level. I think with Robert Sala, the best way I could put it is, and I think Chris Nimbley from Jets Insider said this, he checks all the boxes you can check except can he be a head coach. That's the only thing we have to see because obviously the only way you can answer that definitively is to be a head coach. So all the stuff that you'd be looking for in a potential head coach, he has it. Now it's just a matter of can he actually put it into action and be successful as a head coach. And so this is incredibly interesting to me because we talked about all the directions the Jets might go. We talked about the directions of in that show we did with where we talked about Brian Dable together on your Play Like a Jet podcast. We talked about the fact that there was this wave of offensive coordinators who got, in my opinion, overhired. I think there was a lot of guys who got hired simply because teams thought offense is in vogue, and if I hire an offensive coach, it's going to fix all my problems. And that wave has kind of crashed. It's kind of crashed and broken. There's been, you're looking at Cliff Kingsbury, who hasn't made the playoffs in two years, even though his first year he was given his, his ability to handpick a number one overall quarterback that he thought was paramount to his success. And yet in two years, he hasn't been able to get over the hump. And well, I don't, Chris, I think he's still below 500. Maybe. I don't know. Off the top of my head. What I know is that there was inevitably, there's always a backlash to giant movements like that. So it's interesting seeing that the Jets, for all of their offensive woes, went with a defensive coordinator. I mean, considering all the places that team needs to kind of improve on that side of the football you'd think they would be looking for an offensive bind, and yet they went defensive. Now, that's not bad, because as the Bills found out, what we needed to cure our ills was just a CEO. 
We needed mm-hmm. a head coach who ran this team as a facilitator. Like, look, I'm going to build a culture, and my coaching staff is going to lead the charge on their respective side of the balls. Mm-hmm. And that worked. It worked here in Buffalo. And I think that Robert Sala, I like him. I really do. As a head coach, I like what he brings to the table in terms of his approach. What do you think of his ancillary staff? Because that's really going to be the thing under that type of team that makes the difference. I mean, Chris, the 2017 Buffalo Bills and offense were terrible. With Rick Dennison as our offensive coordinator. And he got promptly ran out of town when we couldn't score more than a field goal in a playoff game. We made it, but we couldn't score anything more than that. And most, I think, points per game, we were in the bottom. I'd say we were well outside of the top 15 that year. But our defense was just so good that we made the postseason. So then we changed gears and found another offensive coordinator who seemed to be a better fit to groom a rookie quarterback. And now we are where we are. We just lost in the AFC title game. What do you think of the staff that Salah has brought in with him? I mean, first of all, on the offensive side of the ball, one of the LaFleur brothers, that has to be seen as a positive thing, right? Yeah, see, and it kind of goes back to exactly what you said with the CEO. If Brian Dable were to have left, you guys wouldn't have been nervous, right? You would have been okay because you would have trusted that Sean McDermott would be able to find somebody who fits with the Bills' need and be able to hire a competent coach to replace Stable, whether that meant elevating Dorsey from quarterback coach or going outside and getting somebody that he knew somewhere else or a mutual connection, whatever it is. And I think that's what people forget a lot of the times because there were so many articles about, well, if the Jets hire Robert Sala, the big problem is what happens if McDaniel or LaFleur comes in with him and then they get poached in a year or two, then what? Well, I mean, that's a dumb question because if you're hiring a head coach, you're trusting that he can develop not only players, but talent in the coaching ranks as well, and that he's got enough connections and smarts to spot guys. I mean, give, giving you one example, Sean McVay needed a new defensive coordinator after things came to a head with Wade Phillips, and they realized, okay, we've gone as far as we can go with Wade. And he didn't know Brandon Staley personally at all. But he remembered, hey, there was a game in 2018 where my team got its ass beat, and it was because the Bears' outside linebackers destroyed me. And, oh, hey, who was that kid that was coaching the linebackers for the Bears? Seems to know what he's doing. And then he brought him out for an interview, and the next thing you know, wow, this kid's the next Sean McVay, but on the defensive side of the ball. So smart coaches know how to cultivate talent. And like you said, in building this staff, there's a lot that he's done already that I really like. LaFleur, that he brings along somebody that, A, he knows he can trust. He's known him since the college days. And Mike's brother, Matt, the coach in Green Bay, uh, while not the uh, smartest man in terms of making key decisions at the end of games, uh, was Salah's best man at his wedding. So there's a real bond there. But he also has a deep understanding of the offense that Salah wants to run. And that's what a CEO does. The CEO has an idea of what he wants done, what he wants carried out. But then he also understands who to go and get to have that carried out. And Jeff Ulbrich is the guy that he chose as a defensive coordinator. And that was brilliant too, because when you talk to people about Jeff Ulbrich, when you talk to people about what his style is, how he likes to do things, 
how he especially uh, did in Atlanta when he was the linebackers coach at UCLA, so on and so forth. He sounds a lot like Robert Sala in the way he approaches things, not necessarily in the way that he teaches or in the way that he coaches certain players to their strengths or whatever, but just his demeanor, his personality, and what Salah would be looking for to lead that defense. So Ulbrich did a great job in Atlanta the last 11 games when he was promoted to defensive coordinator after they fired Dan Quinn. You look at what the Atlanta defense did those last 11 games against mostly really good opponents. They were strong. And I think that building a staff with somebody like Ulbrich who – has experience as a defensive coordinator, has experience as an assistant head coach, was a tough, hard-nosed player in his own right, fits the Salah mold. When you talk about a guy like Mike LaFleur who can run that offense that Salah wants and who Salah knows he can trust, and then even having the smarts to keep Brand Boyer, who I know had a bit of a down year with the special teams, but to be fair, there were a ton of injuries. The team was a mess all the way around. Well, I was going to ask, Brent Boyer, that's your boy. Weren't you? Yeah. You were. You thought he could be potentially like the uh, interim head coach. And then you were mm-hmm. like, oh, well, he doesn't want to put his name on this disaster. So he's just going to hang out in the wings and hopefully we don't lose him. Aren't you pumped to see that he's sticking around? Yeah, no, very much so. I was very happy to see. He was the only coach I wanted to stick around. So I, I like what Sal has done so far a lot. Uh, I like that he's been very smart in the way that he's answered things, too. And, and and I also love that, listen, Leslie Frazier, I know that McDermott has his hands in, in everything as a head coach, but Leslie Frazier runs the Bills defense. And so the fact that Salah understood that even though he's a defensive guy and everybody knows what he's accomplished there, that he needed to bring in somebody that he wasn't going to be pulling the strings on, that he wasn't going to be looking over the shoulder of, that he wasn't going to be calling the plays for, that's important. It's very important. And, and like you said, everybody was doing the offensive thing. And ultimately, the guys that are offensive coaches that have worked out have worked out because not only were they good offensive coaches, but they were effective CEOs. People forget about that with Sean, Mc, uh, excuse me, with uh, Sean McVay. People forget about that with Kyle Shanahan. Robert Sala, who was Robert Sala before uh, Kyle Shanahan hired him? He was a guy that was a linebackers coach for Gus Bradley, right? And he, somebody that had risen up the ranks. It's spotting talent. It's being able to develop guys on the staff. It's being able to understand that you're not supposed to be the one to do everything on your own. That's what you need. That's what the Jets needed. They needed a new culture. And Salah looks like he could be the guy to bring it. Now, as I told you, and I tell all Jets fans this, believe it when you see it. Press conferences are good. Saying the right thing. Things that you've done in the past, all great. But until you prove yourself as the head coach, be optimistic, but don't get too carried away. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm very optimistic about him, but until I see the results on the field, I won't be 100% sold. I mean, it's it, and we're a long way off from that. It's going to be interesting to see how this staff... Joe Douglas... He's now gotten to hire, we assume it was him, we've now gotten to watch him hire a staff that he's comfortable with. He's going to have another craft, another crack at free agency, another crack at the draft. I just literally mixed crack and draft into one word. 
which is just, I think, a byproduct of beer. <laughs> but with that said, it's you guys are probably Chris. Would I be would I be wrong to say that the Jets are going to have the most interesting offseason in the AFC East? One hundred percent, because they might get Watson. You guys have questions at quarterback. You guys have questions around the offense. There's a huge overhaul coming. You guys are going to be must-watch TV for every football fan out there. Must-watch must watch those who are involved in the AFC East. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and what you guys have coming up this week over at Play Like a Jet. Ooh, a lot of fun stuff over at Play Like a Jet this week. So, to start with... We've done some shows on the aforementioned Deshaun Watson, who Chris just brought up, just to get an idea of what's going on in Houston and to kind of piece together how this narrative is playing out. So Adam Clanton, who does an afternoon uh, show down in uh, Houston Sports Talk Radio, who's awesome, knows everything about Houston sports, he came on to talk about the situation, and he actually ended up becoming a viral hit because he, he said some nasty stuff about James Harden, and it really caught on. But he really did a great job of boiling down what's going on in Houston. I believe his exact words were something along the lines of, uh, the Texans are being run by a poor man's Joel Alstein and Tommy Callahan from Tommy Boy right now. So the, the, the Sean Watson thing is going to be interesting until such time that either the fire gets put out in Houston or... Something happens with the trade, so we wanted to dig into that. So Adam Clanton joined me this week. Also, my friend John Grella, who was director of communications for the Buccaneers for three years. He's what we like to call the secret decoder ring. Whenever this kind of stuff goes on in the media where everybody's battling each other, he'll come on and he'll say, okay, this report, here's who probably leaked this, and here's why that would have happened. And he breaks it down from a, a, the standpoint of somebody who had to more or less play uh, detective when he was in Tampa for three years to figure out where everything was coming from and what it all meant. So he came on the show as well. Daryl Slater uh, come, will come on to talk about the latest news, including Brand Boyer sticking around. We'll do some stats with uh, Michael Nanny at some point this week. Mailbag with Chris Nimbley. And then we're going to start delving into roundtable stuff in addition to, um, to film. We're going to talk about some film with Joe Blewett and a couple of other people just breaking down the Shanahan offense, breaking down the Salah and Ulbricht defense. And we are going to also do some roundtables. We do this every year. We take Jets fans from all different backgrounds, whether they're in media or some people that are, believe it or not, they're celebrity Jets fans, so some of them come on. People from all different walks of life who don't necessarily get the opportunity to talk Jets. Maybe their job is talking about something else, but they're a passionate Jets fan. So it's kind of a good way to get a cross-section of where the fan base is at in the offseason, what people think the Jets should do in the draft, in free agency, what they think of the Salah hire, reflecting back, although it's a little painful at times, on the Adam Gase two-year debacle and all of that. So there's going to be so much content. And then, of course, once free agency hits, we're going to have breakdowns of all the guys the Jets could go after in the draft. We're going to have a ton of stuff on that as well. So just a lot of that going on right now. You can check it out anywhere where you download podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And boys, once again, as always, really appreciate you having me on. Love chopping it up with you. And 
I have to throw this out there just to end the show this week because, Chris, before we start recording, you started our conversation about fake diesel. And now I think we have to end it by talking about the great fake Razor Ramon, Rick Bogner. Did a phenomenal job as fake Razor Ramon, but I still don't think he would last in a wrestling match with Sean McDermott, who, by the way, two-time state wrestling champion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and so as we move on to our next segment, another season, another quarterback quandary up in the Boston area, and here to talk to us about it is Mr. Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots. How are you doing, sir? Gentlemen, always a pleasure to join you on the microphone and uh, talk a little Patriots quarterbacks, talk a little AFC East. Always a hodgepodge when I join you guys, but always entertaining, always fun. <sighs> so this is, you know, you know, the theme of tonight has been we've kind of been we as Bills fans have been kind of ignorant to what's going on around us over the last few weeks. So looking at New England and what's kind of become a fun trend as of late, the New England Patriots are once again heading into an offseason searching for an answer to the question, who the hell is going to take our snaps at quarterback? <laughs> I, Chris, hasn't this been entertaining to watch? Yeah, it was. And it was entertaining to talk about a year ago. Exactly. This is the best. Quarterback uncertainty for a team that once had so much of it. I love it. Nothing makes me happier than watching this void perpetual. I, I hope this is an annual conversation, Mike. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if it becomes an annual conversation, it'll definitely keep me in business for a long time. It's definitely <laughs> good to keep prognosticating. It's good for podcasting. It's good for writing, but uh, not good for the fan base, not good for the team itself. Look, this is going to be a big offseason for the New England Patriots. How they choose to address the quarterback position going to tell you a lot about how the Patriots feel that they're going to be able to compete this year. Uh, it's going to be uh, telltale as to how they're going to approach the future in Foxborough. And to me, it's the first domino that has to fall in terms of how they start to put together this team in 2021. So people can sit there all they want to and say, oh, it doesn't really make a difference. In Bill, we trust. They'll do this. They'll do that. If they're not capable or not able to make a decision and a quick decision and a right decision, it could have a, a ripple effect for a number of years here in New England. So big offseason and a big decision for what they need to do. So when we look at the options you guys have at your disposal, just for the entertainment of myself and other fans, I want to walk through this with you. First of all, there's the in-house options, which I, I list first because I feel like both of them are, Chris, 
I, I don't think it's a stretch to see those as the most unrealistic. Am first, I am I one of them? <laughs> you could be one of them. Cam Newton, first of all, not an experiment anyone else needs to see any more of. I mean, is that fair? Well, I think in some ways it is. The only thing that would lead me to believe that the Patriots might entertain an idea of Cam coming back is if they decide that the franchise quarterback that they're looking for is not out there, if they find that the options that are out there available via free agency or maybe via trade might be equal to or less than what they'd be getting from Cam, or if the draft position that they have doesn't warrant them to draft their quote-unquote quarterback of the future. At that point, if you're putting all your eggs in the quarterback basket and nothing seems to be coming up, all of a sudden you look at it and say, well, you know what? We know what we've got. We never know what we're going to get. That's the only way I think they entertain Cam Newton coming back. I think it's highly unlikely, but there's a possibility. The one thing that makes me believe that it's also a possibility is the fact that Essentially, throughout his time in New England, Bill Belichick has always had Cam Newton's back. And I know I'm talking about a one-year sample, but when he was playing poorly, uh, when a lot of people up here in New England were clamoring for Jarrett Stidham to get a start, he remained steadfast to Cam Newton. And that, to me, says that Bill had a little bit more faith in him or maybe that he was just trying to get the absolute best out of him. Speaking of Stidham, I I think (laughs) he probably passed that – speed bump in that hurdle yeah uh, i was gonna say his uh, his, his career 50 percent completion percentage and the fact that he has more picks than touchdowns i mean the, and the fact that when he did play there was no gravitas to him there was no like oh my god jared stidham's coming in the game and he made a spark and at least the team looked good with him on the field i mean th- th- that's been the start of so many quarterback controversies right a backup <clears> comes in a starter goes out, a backup comes in, and for whatever reason, and the backup plays so well that you go, hey, that guy might warrant a further look. Jared Stidham at no point has ever brought that to an NFL field. No, and he hasn't, and I don't know if he will. Uh, from what I've seen from him in practice, I didn't see a whole lot of him in practice in 2020 because of COVID restrictions and whatnot, but from watching him in 2019, there were times where he'd step into a throw, make it right on a dime, and you'd say, wow, this kid's got a good arm. I can see what the Pats might have seen in him in the tape that they saw from him at Auburn and watching him do it on a pro field, but when it comes to practical training, he has had several opportunities to capitalize. Like you said, come in, wow people, show them something, maybe not even wow anybody, but just come in and show them something. He hasn't had the opportunity to do that. Um, and uh, I shouldn't say he hasn't had the opportunity. He hasn't taken advantage of the opportunity to do that, I think is a better way for me to put it. Look, the book is not officially closed on Jarrett simply because the Patriots don't know what they're going to be doing for the quarterback position this year, which means all and any options right now are on the table but i really think that if they thought he was going to be truly in the mix i think he would have gotten the chance this year i think right now they view jared as either a backup option or maybe even someone that they may move on from if not this year then maybe in 2022 so i don't think you're going to see stidham get the keys to the kingdom and again i think cam newton would be a last resort um maybe they could do worse but i think Patriots are going to find that even some of the also ran options out there might be better at this point uh, than than trotting out what they had in 2020. So speaking of that, outside of the building, you're talking about also ran options. Free agency and trade is always an open door, right? Any team can go out and hit the market. And you guys might be, if I can give you guys any credit here, 
it's that you guys might be hitting this at the best time in NFL history because this offseason may see more starting quarterback movement than any season I've known in my time as an adult on this planet. Like, <laughs> there's so many moving pieces at off at, at, on offense at the quarterback position. And when I look, I mean, I guess I want to start with the two most expensive one in terms of trade assets and one in terms of cap cost, a Dak Prescott and a Deshaun Watson. Those both exist out there. How likely do you view them given the Patriots set of circumstances on those fronts? Uh, highly unlikely on both of them. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Look, if, Dres- if, Drew- if Dak Prescott were hitting the open market, there'd be a huge bidding war for his duties. That, that would be no question about it. Um, New England would be able to enter that bidding war because they're projected to have one of the top amounts of salary cap space available, projections up to uh, $60 million, especially with the adjusted cap for COVID-19. So the Patriots right now are in very good cap position. Uh, that's something that I don't think I've ever said with a straight face in New England, but I can say it this offseason. What will they do in terms of giving him the option of either coming back to Dallas, being the starter, being the guy, or does he move on and go to a different team? Uh, right now, I think there's a lot that would have to be worked out when it comes to uh, to the Patriots. I don't think Prescott's going to hit the open market. Dallas would probably just use the franchise uh, tag on him for the second consecutive season, look to move him. They want to get something in return. I don't think they're just going to let him walk or, or just you know uh, let him go for absolutely nothing. I think they realize that he's within their control. So that's why I think Dak is probably unlikely because if you're going to get into a trade bidding war, then all of a sudden you're dealing with a lot more teams that probably have a lot more ammunition in that regard to offer than the New England Patriots. That's why I don't think Deshaun Watson is a possibility. The 15th pick in the draft, coupling that with some future first rounders, um, there are teams out there that can offer a lot more. Miami, New York, San Francisco. I mean, these teams that may want to make a deal for a top line uh, quarterback like a Deshaun Watson or even a Dak Prescott. That's why I don't think it's likely that either one of those guys ends up in New England. Possible, but not probable. So there's some older free agents that are floating around out there, and there's there's two of them that come to mind. Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, the first of those, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the irony alone of you guys signing him as your starting quarterback for 2021 would be too perfect, because then he would get to say that he's thrown a touchdown pass in every AFC East team's uniform. Yep. And Andy Dalton... I, I didn't think he looked awful as a stopgap quarterback in Dallas. What is your feel on those two guys? Dalton apparently always had the eye of Bill Belichick, which leads me to believe that there could be a possibility there. Now, look, I don't have any inside information on that. The Patriots are being very tight-lipped when it comes to their plans, so it's just simply my conjecture. But from what I'm hearing, the talk about Andy Dalton as being a an apparent um, successor to Tom Brady that we heard last year, or at least I don't know if you guys heard it, but it was mm-hmm. a common story up here in New England that Dalton may be a fallback option if, in fact, Brady dared to leave New England, which he ultimately did, um, that may have had more legs than people wanted to believe. And look, Dalton is a stopgap. He's not going to be the quarterback of the future. He's not going to hitch the wagon to the franchise type 
guy, but for a couple of years, he can provide you with a decent amount of productivity. He's got the ability to work within the pocket. He can maneuver. Uh, he can make throws. He's a capable quarterback, and with a guy like Josh McDaniels and with a defense like the one that Bill Belichick will hope to employ in 2021, all of a sudden he may be serviceable. I mean, he's not going to win you a Super Bowl, but he'll keep you respectable. When it comes to Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's a little more interesting, and I think maybe even a little bit more intriguing. Uh, you could probably have Fitzpatrick for about a one-year, $10 million deal. That's probably real realistic in terms of thought process that would allow ryan to maximize i think his ability on the on the uh, the open market and for the patriots to get a pretty good bargain um you know he, he really could end up being a good recipe for success in new england this year that's a short-term deal it would allow new england to develop a younger quarterback whether that's stidham or whether it's a rookie or someone else um a one-year deal for fitzpatrick could make sense for the patriots so what will ultimately be the case is whether or not they feel that there are no other options available out there or if they feel that the window of opportunity to compete in the AFC East right now may not be as wide open as they think. You're looking at the Buffalo Bills, who I think right now have a stranglehold on that division. They don't look like they're going anywhere. The Miami Dolphins, I think, are going to be their biggest contribution or their biggest competitor this year in terms of contribution to some competition for them. And then you've got the New York Jets lying in the works with Robert Sala now coming in as the head coach. What move do they make at quarterback? Uh, do they stay with Sam Darnold? Do they make uh, you know a move and go for someone? Do they beef up that team with a lot of of the cap space and the draft capital that they have. So the Patriots may look at this strategically and say, you know what, 2021 is not going to be really our year. Let's do what we can to develop young talent. All of a sudden, Fitzpatrick's looking like a hell of a signing. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, guys. It's, it's going to be a, a very interesting offseason in New England, but uh, none of these moves would surprise me. So then if that were the case, because, I mean, there's also other things. I mean, you <laughs> Hilariously, and one of the funniest ones for me to imagine is the Patriots, and I and I pray to God you do this. I pray to God you do. A Mitch Trubisky signing. Chris, wouldn't that be great <laughs> to watch Mitch Trubisky sign like a, a decent three-year deal in New England? Yeah, I'd love to see it. Sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, Dude, he's a reclamation project. You guys was, love it. Yeah. Oh, we would because we're petty. We're petty people. But when we look forward to what's more realistic, the draft. Now, are the Patriots likely to draft a quarterback early, in your opinion? And if so, what prospects out there look like they might be attainable for you guys, given your kind of middle-of-the-pack draft standing? Well, there are a lot of rumors right now that the Patriots would not look to utilize the number 15 pick on a quarterback. Now, that being said, that's kind of the rumblings that are coming out of the, the Foxborough basement right now. No one really knows what Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are going to do on draft day. I mean, you take a look at their history. It's been predictably unpredictable, I think is the best way to put it. Um, Justin Fields remains a pie in the sky. I know there are some, I know Todd McShay earlier had him projected at 15. I know ESPN and Bleacher Report released a couple of more mock drafts that had him slipping to 15 because of some of the shaky performances late in the season. But I don't see Justin falling that far. If the Patriots do see him available, then all of a sudden you might be looking to to make that move. And, and the 
Patriots are not above taking the best player on the board simply because Bill Belichick either wants to stick it to the media or he just wants to take a defensive back out of Rutgers with that pick. Um, he's going to go for the best player, and if Justin Fields is available, I think all bets are off. You look at him, he's an impressive passer, uh, strong arm, smooth delivery. Uh, he's got a great blend of athleticism with throwing ability, he can make plays with his legs. He's the type of guy that you could mold into the potential quarterback of the future. Zach Wilson definitely increased his draft stock tenfold, uh, especially late in the season with BYU. Um, and, you know, he made huge strides in his game. He really has got a, one of the more natural, explosive throwing motions that I've seen in a while. Uh, you salivate at what this kid can look like uh, in a uh, in a traditional pocket type scenario, and also the ability to let the ball rip on time. He's got some some great upside there. Again, not going to be available at pick 15. The Patriots would have to trade up and utilize draft capital to move up. Uh, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State is a possibility that you hear. Uh, Kyle Trask out of Florida is someone that could get uh, a little bit of a look. And then the guy that really I think is kind of gaining the most momentum up here in New England is Mac Jones out of Alabama. You mentioned the Saban connection. He and Belichick obviously very close. Him succeeding in a Patriots system would be feasible because of what he's done at Alabama. But the biggest question surrounding Jones, at least to me, is what's he going to look like outside of Alabama's offense? <laughs> he's had the luxury of throwing to Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. He's going to look at the Patriots' wide receivers' core, and he's going to say, all right, who am I going to throw to? You know, maybe Julian Edelman might be able to come back. He might be able to provide something. But he's 34 years old, coming off of a ton of injuries. Even if he is back in New England, is he the same player? Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, a lot of question marks there. The Patriots would really have to upgrade significantly at the wide receiver and tight end position in order to give Mac Jones a chance to compete. So... This may not be the year that the Patriots look to draft their quarterback of the future unless the guy that Bill Belichick has been dreaming about is sitting there at 15. I don't think the Patriots do it in the first round. They may look to later rounds for quarterback help, uh, and that's why I think ultimately the guy that takes starting snaps on opening day in 2021 is going to be a veteran of some sort. Chris, it just strikes me as we're sitting here listening to Mike talk. It'd be a real shame if they passed on uh, Justin Fields. You know, knowing the pedigree of quarterback that comes out of Ohio State. You know, the illustrious... Uh, Troy Cre Smith. The, the Craig Krenzels. Uh, Troy Smith, Braxton Miller, Terrell Pratt. Wait a minute, none of them played quarterback in the NFL. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's hilarious. It's, it, it's all wonderful. It's great that this is going on in someone else's camp for once. And I'm happy that you let us come in here and pick your brain about it, even if we do make a little bit of fun of your team in the process. <laughs> hey, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, guys. You know, 20 years of excellence has to lead to some sort of toilet dwelling. And that's exactly what's going on in New England right now. But you know what? We look at the past and, uh, you know, after 20 years of excellence that you guys are going to have up in Buffalo, you guys are going to feel it too. And in 2040, you guys will feel the same thing. Cool. We we'll can only both, hope. We'll both be dead. We'll, oh, yeah. No, that, that, <laughs> that, that, the type of historic run you guys went on, that dynasty here in Buffalo would kill me. My, my liver would <laughs> fail. My liver would fail. There's no way I would... <laughs> There's no way I'd survive that. Sir, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you have coming up this week over in your various writings because you've put out some great pieces about the Bills as of late. 
Absolutely, and that will continue throughout the offseason, pulling a little double duty, doing a little Bills coverage, doing a little Patriots coverage. But, of course, bread and butter every single day. Locked on Patriots Monday through Friday. Uh, we're delving into some of the positional groupings, so if you're a Bills fan, you want to go behind enemy lines, definitely check that out to see what's uh, behind the curtain in New England uh, with the great and powerful Bill Belichick and what he's got up his sleeve. Uh, but we'll continue to do that, and draft coverage going to start to really amp it up starting the week after the Super Bowl. Uh, going to be doing mock drafts, things of that nature. So check us out uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Locked On Patriots. And then to round out tonight's guests, we're going we gotta to talk about the Miami Dolphins. And as always, we have... Mr. Artiaga, on the line from three yards per carry. How are you doing tonight, sir? Watching the Senior Bowl. <laughs> Watching the Senior Bowl. See, you're uh, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. That's it all is. you can really do. Yeah, it's like exactly. Yeah, we, need, we need offensive talent. It's uh, it's kind of obvious uh, after watching all these teams play in these in these playoffs, especially the Final Four. Uh, we're severely lacking on the offensive side of the ball. We need help there. Yeah. So Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. <laughs> well, that's, that's to just, be honest with you, I want Justin Fields to go to New York to the Jets because I don't think he's as good as prospect as Zach Wilson. Well, I mean, he plays for Ohio State. I mean, that should go without saying that he's probably a subpar quarterback. But with that, we've got a lot to talk about here as it pertains to that and just the changing identity of this Miami team. There's been a lot that's gone on since we were distracted by the playoffs over here in Buffalo. First of all. And where I want to start this conversation is that the Dolphins are indeed looking at a turnover on the offensive side of things, not just from a personnel standpoint, but also from a coaching standpoint. You guys are on to what would be your fifth offensive coordinator now in five seasons. And I think the situation as it stands today is kind of murky because, to my knowledge, you don't have anyone hired for the job yet, correct? No. No, uh, although the heavy rumor is that Ken Dorsey is probably the favorite. Well, and I guess, so So <laughs> that's interesting, which I want to break into. But first of all, Changili's separation from your team might be one of the more confusing things I've seen in recent history. And I'm hoping you can make sense of this for me. So ESPN's Adam Schefter announces Gailey has been fired. Gailey's been released. He's no longer with the team. Like an hour later, the team has to tweet out, I don't know what you're talking about. Changili is still an employee of our team. He's not been released, but, but, but. And then the very next day, Changay Lee resigns and retires. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so was he? Was this one of those situations where he had already been kind of told, like, hey, either retire or we're firing you? Was this just a leak from inside the building? Like, what happened there? The day he was hired, the, the strong indication was that he wasn't going to be here for very long. That he was just here to implement a system and try to transition from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tonga Vailoa or at the time whoever the rookie quarterback was going to be. Now, you know, at the end of the season fans had their their beef with Changeli. I had my own beef with Changeli, although I do believe he did an okay job. He did not do a bad job here. Okay? If you look at how many points they scored, they scored over 400 points this season. The last time they scored 400 points was almost 25 years ago. <laughs> so, that tells you all you need to know. So he he did improve the offense. If he was here to transition the offense from Ryan Fitzpatrick to a rookie quarterback, I think he did his job, and it was time for him to go. Now the shame would be if he didn't, you know, develop anybody underneath him that could stick around. The rumor is that George Godsey, who 
end up ended up doing you know during the season we had a, a COVID outbreak in the in the coaching staff. I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. that uh, Cardinals game where we had to coach the game with like five coaches, and Brian Flores had to run basically the entire defense. George Godsey from that game on became the de facto quarterback coach for Tua Tonga Bailoa. So he's also a finalist for the OC job. So it'd be it'll it'll make a lot of sense if it's either Ken Dorsey or George Godsey because those guys seem to be the guys that they zeroed in on. See, and that's what's interesting to me is the candidates that are out there and the fact that nothing's been settled as of today because it does seem kind of late in the process unless you were waiting on somebody who you couldn't interview yet or that you couldn't approach because of where their team was and where. So you're talking about Ken Dorsey. And he's rumored, I mean, that's interesting because he was rumored to have been the Buffalo offensive coordinator if and when Dable was hired away by either the Chargers or the Jets or one of these other teams looking to fill a head coaching vacancy. And with mm-hmm. Dable staying for the immediate future, it, it seems like Ken Dorsey views himself as being ready, ready to take that next step. And our coaching staff, McDermott has said time and time again, he can't allow himself to get caught up in people who want to leave not even just from a wolf, they don't want to be here, but we don't need them. No, from a standpoint of if I'm doing my job in creating a system here, then you're going to have guys get other opportunities. That's the mark of a good franchise and a productive one. And so in that way, I think they would applaud Ken Dorsey for going elsewhere and seeking an opportunity like that. They would give him the, you know, all of their well wishes. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta understand down here in, in Miami, Ken Dorsey is like a favored son. Like he has favorite he has favored nation status down here, because people look very fondly on his career at the University of Miami. So a lot of people don't even know what kind of offense he'll bring. They just know that he used to play for the Hurricanes, and <laughs> they liked the Hurricanes while they were winning five million games a year with Ken Dorsey throwing the six Hall of Famers every single year. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> People just see, oh my God, we're we gonna get Ken Dorsey here. Okay, great. Just you know, just bring him here. You know, we don't care what he's gonna do. You know, personally, I think it'll be a good thing. It's a fresh face. Well, here's what I think, and I guess this is where my questioning starts as far as this offensive coordinator goes from your vantage point. There's other names. There's Anthony Lynn. You know, because like you said, nobody knows what kind of offense Ken Dorsey would bring. I think Lynn took the Lions. Well, and that's yeah. what I was to say. There was guys out there like Eric Lynn. There was Eric Studisville who you guys know very well. There's mm-hmm. guys out there who have different philosophies on how to approach the game of football. Outside of just a name, what traits would you prefer the new offensive coordinator to have in terms of where this team is and where they can reasonably be from a talent perspective going into next season? I would like a, a motion-oriented offense. Okay? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian has a, there's a clip of Steve Sarkeesian giving a seminar on YouTube which kind of says it pretty much better than anybody else can say it. He doesn't see any value whatsoever in people catching the ball in his offense standing still. He wants to keep everybody in movement, pre-snap, during the play, basically cut curl routes and comeback routes to a minimum and just get the defense moving side to side. So I would like something like that. That's the modern game, and that's where it's going. And that's what Tua excelled at. Tua Tagovailoa excelled at at Alabama. So why not implement that here? No, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think that whoever you guys hire is going to have some work to do on specifically that front. 
because they're gonna have to be able to put Tua in a position to make good on his draft uh, his draft position because the season ended, <laughs> and in typical pot stirring fashion, every Dolphins fan, most hate read journalist Armando Salguero, airs a hit piece citing quote unquote anonymous players who mildly trashed the rookie on their way out the door as the season ended. Some of them, some of the claims are that the, these players didn't see anything special in him or his ability to play the game of football. That they didn't understand the head coach's firm commitment to him, despite saying that there would be competition everywhere on the roster. Mostly because they didn't think that this season he was the best quarterback on the roster or deserved to be handed a future starting job so easily outside of the fact that he was picked in the top five. And that obviously set your fan base on fire. And it was hilarious. You know, we were joking about it off air. How, like, like a, I want to go back to the 80s, the days of the Killer Bees, and the, uh, who were some of these other, Chris, famous tag teams? Demolition, <laughs> Brain Busters. Obviously, Omar Kelly came the Road running. Road Warriors. Yeah, obviously, Omar Kelly came running to Salguero's defense, which, like the two of them, I mean, they're, they're two peas in a pot here. They just love to get everyone upset about something. First of all, your personal opinion on the piece and how it was delivered to the fan base. Well, who knows? It, it could be absolutely the truth, but you know what it could also be? It could also be that the, the players that he got quotes from are guys that are out the door and they're just poisoning the well because they know that they're out the door. It could have been Isaiah, it could have been Isaiah Ford, who had awful body language in the Raider game and even worse body language in the Bills game as he was dropping four passes, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, it could have been any number of guys that, quite frankly, underperformed down the stretch. Now, if it was Devontae Parker or Mike Kosecki, then that could be a problem, and they're going to have to be talked to because those are those are pretty much the only two guys that I will roster going forward. I will give a long look to Lynn Bowden because, you know, he's a rookie. But other than that, the cupboard is as bare as it can be in skill position players here in Miami. Okay, so you think that that might have fueled some of this conjecture. Now, I, I guess one of the things that – the criticism. Obviously, you've been a big Tua stan for as long as we've had you on this show. You're convinced that this criticism is unwarranted. Now, the acrimony, though, that could stem from something like that. Obviously, you don't get to play in the NFL if you're not mentally tough enough to handle criticism. But that sort of sort of acrimony, something like that brewing amongst players like you talk about, some of this, maybe some of the key players, maybe some guys in the offensive line. Maybe some of these veteran defensive players who down the stretch just got sick and tired of having to carry the weight. That's the sort of acrimony that could fracture a locker room. I mean, we talked about, we talked on this show and it was brought up on national coverage about the Pittsburgh Steelers and how down the stretch, the way their season unraveled, that there was a lot of acrimony from the defense towards the offense, knowing that they were the ones who kind of just fell apart, unraveled and were unable to give them any sort of assistance. Any fear in your mind that there could be some fire behind that smoke and that this could be a problem heading into what is Brian Flores' third year? No, because uh, you just said it right there. It's Brian Flores' team, and there's going to be pretty large turnover, I would say, on the offensive side of the of the ball. You know, we're talking, you know, out of – Let's say out of the 13 skill position guys, at least half are going to be gone, maybe more than that. So you're talking about maybe three new draft picks and three new free agency acquisitions. So 
you know, he's remaking the team in the image that he wants it remade in. So I, I really don't worry about that at all. Sounds like you guys have a lot going on between hiring new coordinators. You guys are going to go out and find a boatload of new talent on the offense. You guys are probably going to be pretty busy over at three yards per carry, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, uh, we got plenty of ammunition. To, we got four picks in the top 50 this year, and we got in excess of $35 million of salary cap space. So they have the ammunition to fix all these problems that they have right now. Well, I'll tell you what, for our listeners out there, if you guys are draft nerds, you guys want this is the three yards per carry specialty is draft analysis. So this is the time that is, Bills fans, if you're not already following them, go do it because they're, they're I went back to last year's stuff that they were doing. And some of the insights you guys had not only were correct, but also it was interesting reading after the fact. And so I can't wait to see what you guys are putting out this year in the run-up to the draft and free agency. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find it and anything specific you guys might have coming up this week? Yeah, if you want to see some of our draft coverage, of course, uh, go on Twitter. Uh, it's three yards per carry. It's the number three yards per carry. Uh, we do a podcast weekly during the draft uh, time, which is April. We do usually two podcasts a week, and we will have some written content as far as all the different prospects, uh, different units, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, all linemen on both sides of the ball. So look for that. And then, Chris, when we think back to the Buffalo Bills, what a week. <laughs> what a week we've had. Tonight's show was meant to help those of you who haven't heard our Rockwell Report podcast yet or who simply aren't ready to let the healing process begin. Realize just how bright the future is for our football team. First of all, we have far more continuity and established talent already on the roster than anyone else in the AFC East right now. And Chris, it isn't close. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. I mean, look at the quarterback situation in New England. In New York. Miami, they, they no, they don't have a quarterback. Well, maybe they do have a quarterback. <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Yeah. But at the same time. It seems that Deshaun Watson's linked mostly to New York or Miami. But also, their number one scoring defense in the NFL walked into a must-win game against Buffalo. They got their ass handed to them. Isn't it a game where you'd expect the coaching staff to kind of be at their best if you trusted them to really be the motivator for a championship football team? And instead, they got walked on. Now, maybe Flores, much like we talked about Sean McDermott, learning. Like, hey, you reached the toughest game of your professional career and you found yourself woefully inadequate. McDermott found himself in a similar position this week against Kansas City. At the same time, Chris, this was bad. Our backups outscored their starters. That team quit in their most important game of the year. That's something you can't ever see. We have far fewer questions in that regard. From who's taking snaps under center to who's calling the plays to whether or not the leaders of of our team are all pulling together in the same direction. And we have a full complement of draft picks and cap flexibility. I mean, I just did the math. Bean is such a contractual gangster that this team, as of tonight, we sit at $2.6 million in cap space. 
by cutting just players who didn't make an impact in this year's postseason on the defensive line and at the wide receiver position. That's it. And backfilling them via the draft. This team could shave $28 million in cap space. We could be at 30 at the snap of a finger and still have bodies to man those positions. How crazy is that? That's uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> All right, Larry David. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll break even more to that down with Ski from Hashtag Sports at some point in the offseason. The thing that strikes me the most after all of these different segments we've recorded tonight is that we might have the most secure position in the AFC East. And that for once, every guest we talk to realizes that the situation in Buffalo is better than what what they have in their own backyard. You hate to hear it. When is the last time you can recall that? 1991. I'll drink to that. And with that in mind, it's going to be an interesting offseason, and there's a lot that has to get worked out around the division. But I love where we're headed. Scott Mason, Alf Arteaga, and Mike Tabate, three of the best that cover their teams. You know, I'm sure you guys are, when you heard Scott mention fake, fake diesel and fake razor. We did have an off-air conversation about a certain draft analyst <laughs> where I referred to him as... Glenn Jacobs, fake Diesel, and fake Razor Ramon. Yeah, there's a certain guy out there who I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to keep taking cheap shots at as the season goes on. Who, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he, he's about as real as uh, he's about as real as the the guy that they hired to portray himself as Razor Ramon. It's a fat excuse for uh, so, someone who actually does charity work. Here's what I love: if you want more shade, go talk to Michael Kist. That's all I'll say. Go talk to Michael Kist. He'll give you all the... Ah, I've said too much already. I'll reel that in. But Chris, Beer Watch. Yeah, Beer Watch is... We're winding down. I'm, this, I'm not having another beer between now and ending, <laughs> ending the show because I can't do that. I mean... You Look, physically can't drink beer, can you? I, I will. I, I'm not. I like liquor. I prefer liquor, mixed drinks. I've been because of Brett Coleman. I've been getting into cocktails. You see, I have an, an, a small section of nice bottles of an whis- of whiskey and rye. I've been having. He's turned you against me. I've been having old fashions, whiskey sours, Manhattans. Uh, see, been, I, I, I respect that because I'm a bourbon fan. I respect the fact that you're getting into these whiskey drinks. I see that you have six or seven different high quality bottles of bourbon over there on your shelf. I got bull. I don't even. I don't even have to look at them. I look right at you. Angel's Envy, Bullet. I have a Southern Tier. Uh, I have a, a High West Double Rye whiskey. Like as we get into the off season and start breaking all the off season stuff down with free agency and the and the draft. You know, we don't. At least for me, I don't drink beer during the shows, but. I'm a beer drinker. What do you want from me? Yeah, I don't know. See, look, no, this is what I was going to get at. I don't know how you do that because this week I've been on my first week at a new job. So last week I was like, all right, I got I've done it once before. I think two years ago we like did a show on like December 23rd. And like I wasn't working, so that was another situation where I was like, "All right, I'm gonna try to hang with Drew here." But like I last week, I specifically got up at eight thirty and paced myself throughout the whole day. I had a beer at eight thirty in the morning, 
and then 10, 1030, 1230, pacing myself throughout the day. And last week, last week I had eight beers to your 10. I don't know. <laughs> and I started, at, I legit started at eight. I don't know how you, how you function like that. I don't know how you can do that. Chris, when you're a well-oiled machine that just runs nonstop, guess what? You never have to worry about, uh, you never have to pick your game up. You just run at a certain pace. You maintain. I'm, when I was 350 pounds, me and my buddies, who were also all over 300 pounds, used to have case races. <laughs> case races! Where we would race over the course of an afternoon to see who could finish a 30 pack. Since I've lost weight, I've lost tolerance, but not commensurate to the weight loss. <laughs> it turns out drinking to that level actually, I don't know what it is. It's like you build up a tolerance that actually can't be broken. And so with that, we've done this show now all season. And I've got some interesting statistics. First of all, Chris, talking about how he loves mixed drinks. He doesn't drink beer. He only had f more than five beers. Eight times. I think it's nine. Five or more. Eight times over a 21-week span. Meanwhile, I had double digits <laughs> all but two times over the same span. And one of those was the night after the San Francisco Monday Night Football game where I drank so much Molson Ice, I couldn't hold down water. Yeah. I couldn't hold down water or cereal. And yet I still came here to your apartment, did the podcast... And drank nine beers. Yeah, that's going into week going into week fifteen, you had nine. So if we played Monday night the night before <laughs> week fourteen, if that was San Francisco. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> it's called perseverance, sir. Twelve of you listeners had us under three hundred beers, which means that you either believe in the Bills so little, or you just didn't believe in us as drinkers. Either one of those is offensive. A.J. McCown might have the most impressive thing here in that he sent us a chart on Twitter breaking down all of our previous seasons and literally using a weighted average to try to figure out his... scientifically prognosticate how many beers we would drink this year. But the, He was still under the count! Yeah, under the... But the hard part is that when you give us your predictions... You also have to factor in what our season is going to be. Are we going to the Super Bowl? That's fair. Because then you have to factor in those extra weeks. And I'm not sure that he, he did that. I'm he not was, sure anyone did. Chris, if we're being honest, who knew at the start of all this that we'd make the AFC Championship game? I mean, you saw Allen's face against Houston. You knew something was coming this year. I well, mean, you're get, you guessed 312, and you were out last week. <laughs> that sounds about right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll open the last beer here in the bucket. There we go. Yeah, I just threw that bottle cap across your fucking kitchen. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I tonight I've drank six beers. You are at, I see nine there, 10, 11. So... 318 plus my 6 is 324 plus your 11, 335 will be the beer watch number. And if you go to the board, who won? 
Well, I see no one got it correct. No one got it right on the Nuggets? The closest one is friend of the show, Bruce Nolan. Oh, my God! 336. Wow. Wow! The guy who doesn't drink while he podcasts somehow prognosticates our drinking. Yeah, he was one off. Wow. That's impressive. He's going to be... He, I'm sure he'll be tickled to know. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be appalled quietly. Just yep. <laughs> we're at did 335 this year. My uh, my mother guessed 333. Oh, she was so close, Donna. Yeah, Rich Perks 342. Oh, Rich, you were so close. Uh, Super Mexican 345. Oh, super. And you know what? Super Mexican might be one of my favorite followers. Because he'll DM us with random stuff, including the shade that you throw at me mid-podcast. Oh, yeah. He loves that stuff. Uh, Mike Moeller, your coworker, also 345. Whoa. Clayton Garrett, Cold Front Report, 340. Uh, Terry White over in England, 338. Real close. Oh, Terry White was so close. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm going to give him a consolation prize. One, because he's old. It- <laughs> And two, because he's British. They don't drink. They don't drink the way I drink. <laughs> they can't do that over in England. Either that or you don't... Uh, either that or you just, like... I feel like you have to become a jester over there. Like, there's something involved. You have to get a license. I don't know. Yeah, give me a minute. I'll pull up the... Um, last year on our board, I had the season-by-season season breakdown. So I'll pull that up. 2016, 269... 2017, 361. 2018, 261. Last season, 302. This year, 335. So we were actually on pace to finish below last season if the Bills hadn't gone to the championship game. What's odd is that we did 335 this year. We made it to the AFC championship game. And in 17, we made it to the wild card and did 361. <laughs> I. Th- I think it's because I think because I was drinking an eighteen pack a week when we hit our three game skid, and when yeah, he put in Peterman, I that, almost drank a case. Yeah, that's that's where it is. I think your, I think that's a, the takeaway from this is your beer drinking goes up when we have like a slightly volatile season <laughs> where it's like, oh hey, this is looking good, and then we hit a, a skid like that. <laughs> And then you just pound beers, and then you keep drinking because you're like, that's it. You get your, this season's over, we're done, fire everyone type of mood. <laughs> and then we back into the playoffs, and then we get an extra week. And But you've had, you know, like six weeks where you've done 14 beers in a night. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you'll ever get back to that because you have a child now. Oh, I pray to God I don't. <laughs> I pray to God that this team does so well that we never have to go back to that. And based on the outcome of tonight's conversations, I don't think we have to worry about that anytime in the immediate future. It's been a great. It's been a great year. It's good to look. Oh, last number. Last number to throw out. Everything totaled together, one thousand five hundred and twenty-eight beers. Yeah, that's work, son. That yeah, is that's, work. That's not counting the beers that we will drink during the off season, which you you still keep this pace. I don't have any. That's the last number I wanted to give out. The future is bright here in Buffalo. Hopefully, none of you have to punish your livers the way I do mine. 
we're looking forward to another offseason where we can roll in here, fix some more problems in the draft, address some things in free agency, watch our opponents divisionally struggle to keep pace. Chris, another AFC East title, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. No, it's not. We can do it. Damn straight. And with that in mind, we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you for an entire season of dedication to us, to our craft. But we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the AFC's Roundup.